This Sunday we have the story of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 20. And of course the kids are very familiar with uh, this account. Most of them have learned it by memory. But um, even though they may know the words from memory, they probably haven't stopped to really think about a lot of the things that we are taught about Christ in this section. So it's still very important. One of the nice things about this section is I don't have to remind you to keep it all about Jesus. It would be hard not to keep it all about Jesus uh, in this section. So I hope that's not a problem anyway. (laughs) In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Luke includes a large amount of detail, especially in the first year of Christ's birth, that is not included in many of the other Gospels. And looking at it from a human standpoint, you might think that this makes Luke a little suspect. He has all these amazing things, angels appearing to shepherds and uh, you know, angels appearing to Mary and Joseph. And he includes all of these amazing things. And, and the other Gospels don't include these? Why would the other Gospels not include these? But Luke's gospel is actually one of the, from a, again, from a human standpoint. We, of course, know that all of the gospels are inspired by God and completely trustworthy. But from a human standpoint, Luke's gospel is one of the most trustworthy because Luke makes a point of the fact that he made careful investigation of all of the things that happened before writing it down. We hear that at the beginning of his gospel in his introduction, that he well, was very careful. He's, he's a good historian checking his facts and making certain that uh, everything he writes is the way that it happened. And you see that right away here in Luke chapter 2. He begins with, this happened in the in Caesar Augustus in this year when this guy was, was governor of Syria. It, it makes it very, very clear that he did his homework and that what he's reporting is the truth uh, about what happened to Jesus. Another important part of these opening verses is to see God's hand at work in history. Uh, From our point of view, if we were living at that time, a decree comes from emperor, uh, and the decree to be registered did come from the Roman emperor. It wasn't just a local matter, but this was throughout the Roman Empire. So a decree comes from the Roman emperor that everyone should, should go to their homes, their hometowns to be counted and to be registered so that uh, the empire can figure out how to tax everyone. We wouldn't really see that as God at work in history. But here we get that rare glimpse behind the scenes as to why this is happening and how God is causing it to happen for his purposes. Uh, Even the Roman emperor, uh, in his arrogance, he thinks he's in control of the world. And yet we see that he's not in control, that God is in control, uh, that this registration came about so that Joseph would go to Galilee, so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, as it was foretold by the prophets in the hometown of David. This all happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And it really should make us stop and and consider uh, the things that are going on in our world today. They look like just ordinary things. They look like nothing special. Why would we think that God is behind this? But remind us that God a lot of times is behind it and is working all history uh, to his glory and for his purposes. Another important point here is the fact that uh, this is one of those occasions where, again, archaeologists for a long time thought, 
wow, the Bible is wrong. See, we've proven the Bible wrong because the decree to be registered didn't happen during the reign of Quirinius. Well, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And to some extent, that's true. The, the decree to be registered came a number of years before Quirinius was governor of Syria. And the rest of the Roman world uh, was registered before Quirinius was governor of Syria. But the Jews, you know, they don't like the Romans. They often don't want to do what the Romans demand, and they didn't want to be registered either. So they refused to do what the Roman emperor had commanded and kept putting it off for a long time. And it wasn't until Quirinius was governor and through him that then this registration finally took place in uh, Galilee and Judea. So even though the decree did come from the Roman governor a number of years before, it is the Bible is nonetheless correct, as we know it always is, uh, that it didn't happen in Judea and Galilee until the time of Quirinius, when he was governor of Syria. So once again, uh, the Bible is proven correct and man is proven wrong. Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swallowing clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. So here we finally see the fulfillment of the promises that God has been given since the beginning of the world, that he would send his son, he would send a savior to mankind. And of course, as we just mentioned, it happened in Bethlehem, as God had foretold, because this was the descendant of David. So going to Bethlehem was not only a fulfillment of the Old Testament, but it was a symbol of who this was, that he was the son of David and that he would take over the throne of his father, David. And so, of course, the Jews, as we've talked about many times, the Jews were waiting for Messiah, but they had a very different idea as to what kind of king and what kind of Messiah this would be. They thought, they thought very much in earthly terms as a restoration of the throne of David, of the nation of Israel, very nationalistic thoughts. Uh, they expected him to you know, rebuild Jerusalem to its former glory, make Israel the center of the earth. But right away here, we right away see that God's idea of who the Messiah was and what kind of king he would be is very different from man's idea. Uh, he was born in a manger. He was born in a, a cave um, away from the glory and pomp of Jerusalem. And we're going to continue to see that, especially with the message of the angels, as we if we read through that, remember to ask yourselves, well, what kind of Messiah and what kind of king is it that Jesus came to be? And in the same region also there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. One of the great prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, one that John the Baptist himself continually talked about, is how the Messiah would turn the world upside down. Uh, he would change everything 
in opposite ways. Whatever is high, he will bring low. Whatever is low, he will bring high. Whatever is crooked, he will he will make straight. Whatever is rough, he will make smooth. And right away we see that with the birth of Jesus, immediately the angels go not to the king, not to the high priests, not to the rich, but to the poorest of the poor, to the shepherds in the field. Right away from the very beginning, it's made clear that Jesus did not come to establish glory on this earth, but he came to save sinners, to exalt the lowly. And so the angels come to the shepherds and the news is brought to them. And at the same time, the king in Jerusalem as we're going to see uh, in upcoming accounts, the king in Jerusalem and the high priests and the wise men of the Israelites are blind to what's happening and the glory of the Lord that is is going on just a few miles from them. Bethlehem is not that far from Jerusalem, uh, just not even that far from them, and they're completely missing it, completely blind to it. But the, the poor shepherds here are brought up. As we talked about before, what kind of king is it? What kind of Messiah is it? Uh, notice... Unto you is born this day in this a savior. Notice how the, the angels emphasize that he is a savior. Uh, he is not uh, to be emperor of the world, but he has come to save people from their sins. And suddenly there was with an angel with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will to men. The message of the the song of the angels here can easily be misunderstood. Uh, the first part's easy enough. Glory to God in the highest. We are praising God because he has finally fulfilled his word. And uh, we have every reason to praise God. He has sent his Savior to save us from our sin. But the next part, that that's the part that's often misunderstood. Uh, and on earth, peace, good will toward men. The Greek here is very difficult to translate correctly into the English. Uh, and so you have many different translations, uh, some of which do it better and some of which do it worth, worse. The, what, I just trans, what I just spoke to you is the New King James. That's what the kids learn. Um, but the Bible I have in front of me is actually ESV. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This also is not a good translation. If you were to translate it literally, it might say, and on earth, peace to those who are blessed. And that's the part that, that's really confusing. What do the angels mean to those who are blessed? And so a lot of times it comes across as if God has brought peace to some and not to others. He brought He's brought peace to those who are blessed or to those whom he is happy with or to those who are, you know, fill in the blanks, depending on how you, how you translate that word, al-logias. But probably the best way to understand it is that the, the, those who are blessed is not a division among men. God's not dividing men into those who he is pleased with, those who are blessed and those who aren't. But he is saying men are blessed because now he has brought peace to them. Notice earlier the angel said, who is to good, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. The gift that Christ, that God gave Christ his son is not to some and not to others. The peace is not coming to some and not to others. It's to all men. And so we need to understand that song of the angels in that same context then, that all men are blessed, and blessed means to receive a gift from God. So all men are blessed. All men have received a gift from God. And what is the gift they've received? Peace. That's what the angels are saying. God has given peace on earth he has blessed all men by giving peace, and that peace comes 
in the form of Jesus Christ, of course, who has saved us from our sins. And so notice again how much that emphasizes that Jesus is not, not that earthly king that a lot of the Jews were looking for, and he didn't come to bring that earthly glory, but he came to save us from our sins. Notice how many times also the angels re re repeat you, the first angel and then uh, the other angels as well, peace on earth to you. Now, they don't say you there, but, you know, it's implied to you, you people on earth. And uh, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is a gift for men. You know, I said at the beginning that, you know, I, I shouldn't have to remind you to keep the focus on Christ, uh, because it's the birth of Christ. It really should be the center there. But, it's Christ for us. Yes, we keep the, the, the focus on Christ, but Christ for us. He didn't come for the angels, right? Uh, this isn't a day of rejoicing for God, for himself. Uh, he's not coming to do something for himself. He's coming for us. And so uh, the focus of Christmas is on Christ, yes, but on what Christ has done for us. And that's what makes it such a, a wonderful and joyful season. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made widely known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary kept all these things and treasured them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told him. Notice that the thing that the, and this is really amazing. This is the power of God at work right here. But the thing that the shepherds rejoice in is not that the angels appeared to them, but that they saw the Messiah. They saw the Christ. And this is made clear in a couple of places in our text. Uh, and they went, and when they had seen it, they made widely known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Notice the, the focus of their discussion, the focus of what they were telling other people is not, hey, angels appeared to us, but hey, look what they told us about this child. The child is the focus of their discussion. And, and you think about what that means to them. They saw angels singing in the heavens, and they saw a little babe. And when they went to see Christ, there wasn't any miracle, there wasn't anything glorious about him, there wasn't anything special about him that you could see from the outside. He's just, from all human appearances, he's just a babe lying in a manger. That's all they saw. Yet they knew what he was and what that meant to him, and they rejoiced in that, and they gave glory to God for the coming of the Messiah, and recognize that as the far more important event than the angels appearing to them in heaven. And this is repeated also in verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That final phrase, as it had been told them, that's referring to the angels. The angels are the ones that told them about this. And if that last phrase, as it had been told them, is referring to the angels, and the phrase before it is not talking about the angels, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The angels were the ones that told them, but the thing that they talked about and glorified God for was what they saw after the angels had departed. They saw the Messiah and the Christ. That's really a, a really powerful lesson for us, too, that the things we should rejoice and and find glory in are not always the things that look glorious and amazing uh, on the outside, 
It's not the seeing the angels that causes us joy on Christmas morning, but it's it's the coming of the Christ and him being born there. One of the really important messages of the story, of course, is uh, the person of Jesus Christ, uh, that he is true God and he is true man. That's one of the the key lessons that we want to teach uh, on Christmas Day and when we go through this story in study school as well. And you can see both sides of it. Both sides are very clearly portrayed by Luke. So that might be something you do with the kids is to take them through the story and say, okay, uh, what elements remind us that Jesus is God? And so you have the angels, you know, coming uh, to praise to praise and glorify him and, and coming to the shepherds. Um, you have the fact that he is the Savior. You have the fact that he is born in Bethlehem, which reminds us of the promise and so connects back to the Son of God in that way. And so you do have these different elements that remind us that he is true God, begotten of the Father. And you also have, of course, many elements that remind us that he is also true man. So he is born of Mary. He is the son of David. Uh, he's born in the inn. You see his humility there as well. Uh, he's seen by shepherds. He's lying in a manger just like any other, bear, any other baby. So that might be a... a unique exercise you can do with the children go through okay what what elements remind us of his true godhead and what elements remind us of his human nature and remember too that he is true man and true god he is full true man and full true god he's not half and half he's not two people combined into one but he is Jesus Christ himself is fully God and fully man in one person. Not something we can understand, but something that the Bible really teaches us and convinces us of. So have fun with this account. It's, it's one that the kids are really familiar with, but that shouldn't stop us from being really excited to share it with them and, and to study it and learn a little bit more about Christ, who he was, and how he was came and was born for us. There's always more there to learn. Uh, so make sure to keep Christ center, and Lord's blessings on your Sunday school lesson.